everyone, welcome to tonight's MHTV. Tonight we're talking about suicide prevention, um, looking specifically at um, workforce nursing in particular. Um, tonight's obviously a really sensitive topic, so we will also be flagging up um, where you can go to for help. But, you know, if this is going to be um, a particularly distressing topic for you tonight, then, you know, do um, mute us and you can also mute us on Twitter as well by not following um, the MHTV line. Um, it is an important topic, so we do hope that if you are listening tonight that you do join in. Nikki will um, will let you know how you can join in, and then I'm going to hand over to our guests to introduce themselves. Yeah, I think it's a really important conversation for us to have. If it's not one for you at this minute, that's no problem, but it is going to be something I think that's going to be very relevant for our profession going forward about how we understand how to keep ourselves and each other safe. Um, so if you want to have a conversation with us, we're on Facebook Live and you can ask questions in the chat there. Or if you're on X, Twitter, <laughs> X, um, <laughs> please do um, put comments under the MHTV um, hashtag and we'll see you there and feed those questions in because it'd be really interesting to see what you think as well. So Vanessa, I'll hand back to you. Thank you. Um, so first on my screen, I've got Emma. Do you want to just introduce yourself to everyone and say a little bit about tonight's topic? Yeah, thank you and um, good evening everybody. My name's Emma Wadey and I'm the Deputy Director for Mental Health Nursing at NHS England. Um, but also within that role, I've made it my business to be leading on work around the prevention of suicide, um, specifically around nurses and midwives, but more recently that's expanded to lead work reducing suicide across all healthcare staff, working across all healthcare settings in England. Um, today's um, episode, we're wanting to share about the, the new and world first suicide prevention toolkit for organisations to support healthcare staff. Um, I want to talk about some of the wider work that we've commissioned to support this area. Um, but most importantly, in terms of some key messages that I want to share at today's um, or during today's episode, is that feelings of suicide, feelings of distress, feelings of crisis are incredibly common. They're common in the population. It's something that any one of us can experience at any time of our life and nurses are not immune to that. Um, but ultimately that this is um, an episode of hope that people aren't alone. There is no need for people to be struggling alone. There are resources, there are people, there is support out there. And that leads me on to the final point really. And that is how we as a profession really can tackle the stigma and shame that's still associated by reaching out for psychological support and help. Um, because I, I worry that it is that that is now preventing our healthcare colleagues and specifically nurses coming forward. Um, I know we're going to introduce Jane and I'm going to spend a little bit more time later talking about some of the stats and data as to why this topic is important. Um, but I would like to move and let Jane introduce herself if that's okay. <clears throat> Thanks Emma. Um, hi everybody, it's a pleasure to be um, here uh, on this, this episode, uh, a topic that's quite quite close to my heart. Uh, so I'm Jane Fisher, um, I'm a registered mental health nurse um, and a mental health nurse lecturer um, at UCLan uh, in Preston. I also live with uh, significant mental health challenges. Um, my life kind of dramatically collided with significant mental illness around, around eight years ago when I was a, a community mental health nurse on maternity leave 
um, and ended up being a uh, becoming a, a mental health patient, accessing mental health services in the area um, close to where I lived. Um, and that was kind of the start of my journey with um, significant mental health challenges. Uh, whilst navigating my identity as a as a nurse and now as a lecturer, um, and also as a um, mental health uh, mental health patient. To sum it up, it's been incredibly challenging to try and integrate those roles and navigate those different roles um, and those different uh, different identities. Um, and one of the reasons why I do speak about my own experiences is. Still think there's a lot of stigma and shame around particularly mental health professionals who live with significant mental health challenges. Um, I think that it's got less over time, but definitely there is still some stigma and shame, uh, which is why I talk about my own experiences. Um, but yeah, and I'm sure we'll come back to some of those points as we as we move as we move on. Uh, but I'll hand back to you now, Emma. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. It's it's really important, though, isn't it, that um, we have people in our profession who are open, because as Emma said at the beginning, you know, none of us are immune to mental health challenges in our lives. And, you know, we really need to move away from that culture that we're, you know, so different from the people that we look after, because eventually we're all the same, aren't we? We all have our own challenges. So I think Definitely. it's yeah really important. You know, Definitely. if we're talking about suicide prevention, it's really important that we talk about it. And I'm really glad that you're here with us Thank tonight. You. I Thank think you. that that title of RMN um, or nurse <laughs> lecturer doesn't make any any of us immune uh, exactly. to uh, to mental illness. Uh, you know, we're all just people. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, trying to muddle our way through life with life's challenges uh, the best the best way we can. Um, but yeah, I've definitely been on the um, receiving end of feeling that us and them um stigma um as a as a service user um and it's it's it for me it just doesn't make sense um you know like i said no one's immune to mental health challenges yeah absolutely yeah it's um yeah so it's a difficult one isn't it i, I mean I, I suppose before we move over to emma i'm really interested in whether um that was a whether some of the stigma that you experienced was that around um did met people know that you were a mental health nurse I think there's something really interesting there around when people I'm just thinking about when I had my own children for example and you have the um you know you have the assessment from the health visitor a few days afterwards it's a long time ago but I still remember now when they were doing the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale them saying to me well you're a mental health nurse so we don't really need to ask you these questions do we um so it's like intellectually I say I'm a mental health nurse but that doesn't mean I'm immune to mental health challenges no no I experienced some like quite similar experiences I think when I first became uh, really unwell it was perinatal mental health problems um and it was nothing that nothing close to any any mental health challenges that I'd experienced before so when I was first accessing services I I didn't have much insight into the fact that I was unwell um I yeah. couldn't have felt further away from the CPN that I was you know three months uh, three months prior um I just you know I was just in a completely different uh, different phase of my life so 
I didn't have any kind of conscious worries or con or conscious kind of shame or um, about seeking help. I was I was just desperate and really unwell. Um, yeah. But yeah, some of the responses that I've had over the years, um, some of them ha have been around similar to what you said. Oh well, um, you know I don't need to tell you about how to look after your mental health. Um, but I think more more worrying was kind of assumptions that because I'm a mental health nurse and I've got insight, uh, which I don't always have. Um, and there's assumptions that I know what's happening to me um, and I know that it's an illness and I know what treatments I need, uh, yeah. which I often don't. Um, yeah. And also an assumption that as a mental health professional, that, oh, well, she'll tell us if things get worse or if risks change, then, you know, she'll, she'll let us know. Um, so I think definitely there's some dangerous assumptions that can be made. Um, and often I think a lot of the basics were, were missed. So that kind of psychoeducation, that support, that exploring, you know, the issues, uh, a lot of that was kind of skimmed over. I think some nurses felt intimidated as well. Um, so sometimes nurses will say, oh, kind of, oh, like, well, there's no pressure on me. Um, as if I was somehow evaluating their ability to assess me um, in, uh, in a crisis. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely not been easy, um, and for a long time I I wished that I wasn't a nurse so I could just get treated just like a, anybody else accessing um, services. There were mental health professionals that I will say that got it right, um, and I'd say they got it right because it just never felt like an issue. It was never made a big deal of. Um, you know, sometimes I'd try and avoid saying what I did um, as a job. Um, which again is just it's just ludicrous really and it means that I could never be fully transparent because uh, how could I be fully transparent with services supporting me if they didn't know that I was a mental health nurse who was off work sick um, so yeah a lot of a lot of challenges there mm. yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot to think about. Emma, um, do you want to come in at this point? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Just to give a little bit of background around some of the suicide facts, because um, there's still a lot of myths out there and a lot of misinformation. So even over the last few weeks, I've been contacted by colleagues who'd seen misinformation. I know Professor Lewis Appleby is very active on Twitter, now known as X, <laughs> um, around calling it out. Um, and even some of our national websites we've had to address because they've had misinformation. So I think um, data is really, really important to really understanding the scale of the issue, but also helping inform us around how we can um, make it different, I suppose, and, and address it. So primarily the focus has been on suicide prevention in nurses. And the reason for that is that female nurses have a rate of suicide that's 23% higher than any other female profession. So just as we talk about in men who, who still of course make up 75% of all um, suicide deaths, um, it's construction workers who, are, who make up um, the most significant number and, and are a high risk group. For women, it is nurses that is the only um, profession that has that really high rate of, of suicide risk attached. Within that as well, um, we also know that for all healthcare workers, nursing is still the highest risk occupation for suicide. 
So of course, every death is a tragedy and this isn't pitching one profession against another because um, not only would that be ethically or morally wrong, we know that every suicide leaves a significant impact and will affect up to 135 people who then themselves will experience not only um, grief, but can also um, experience trauma and then mental health concerns related to that. But it is female nurses who make up the bulk and that's a global issue. So we are not unique in England. This isn't an England centric issue related to the particular um, contextual issues that we have in England. It is a global phenomena which is interesting in itself that um, for such a global phenomena that so little has been done internationally in this space. Um, I would even go to far as to say that this issue has been silenced. Um, and there's probably a whole heap of things around that and I'm sure some of that will come out in your discussions in your next episode, which I know you're alert to later. Um, so it is an area where there has been steeped in silence, stigma, shame, um, and even now, when I talk about the, the data and what the actual figures tell us, there is shock and surprise, even from those who've worked in suicide prevention fields for many years and are leading suicide prevention strategies, for instance. So we've had a couple of breakthroughs, I would say, in the UK, and they are quite significant, sorry, in England, because actually we are the only place in the UK that has these strategies in place as well. And that is there has begun a quite a cultural shift to recognise and acknowledge that we have a problem and that we have a duty to address it. And that's really, really significant and quite a sea change from when I first started in the national world three years ago when people weren't ready to hear that we had a problem in nursing. So things have accelerated within the last three and a half years so far that we now not only have post-vention guidance supporting organisations following the suicide of a healthcare worker, but we have suicide prevention toolkits supporting organisations to ensure they have a strategy in place to maintain the health and mental well-being of their staff in order to prevent suicide going forward. Again, first in the world of any such strategy, um, but alongside that, it's been recognised within the National Suicide Strategy that's only just been refreshed for the first time in 12 years. So again, really significant because that will put the onus on everybody to ensure when they're looking at their strategies that they consider specifically the risk to healthcare workers and within that nursing. So it might seem quite small, and of course there's so much to do, but to be able to have influenced that national strategy and to have this issue recognised is a huge step forward. Um, areas that we are looking at to really improve, as I say, data is really important, and it's been something we've struggled with, and it's a global struggle actually in terms of data. We've relied on data from the Office of National Statistics, and updated data is due any time. And that will, for the first time, tell us um, rates of suicide between fields of practice in nursing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm anticipating that um, it's the first time it would have been shown. Again, there is nowhere in the world that breaks it down. Some of that is because nowhere in the world has the same breakdown in nursing that we do, but it gives a real indication around context. Um, and I think that's going to be quite revelationary when we see that data, because um, I, I wonder whether it will be where we expect it to be when we think about things like some of the contextual issues around culture that we're seeing across services, for instance, um, and whether that plays out. And my feeling is it won't entirely. And that will then, we need to look within ourselves as to why is it perhaps certain fields of nursing feel less able to reach out for support when they need it. And I, and I think that's for me is where we need to look at. But just briefly before I really want to explore how we enable people to reach out, um, just a couple of things that we've commissioned. So we will have the first ever healthcare database for suicide. 
um, developed by Professor Lewis Appleby, which will start to collect data to provide a national database for healthcare staff that will really help us inform um, our resources and our, our thinking going forward, which is really important. And we're also co um, developing training specifically designed by healthcare staff for healthcare staff to enable um, staff to understand the different signs um, because we think there are some nuances that healthcare staff display when they're becoming unwell or are in crisis from suicide, which are quite different to the general population. Um, and, it, and so that will really draw on those experiences of those who've attempted suicide but survived um, to inform that work. And that's led being led by Angela Samata. So this is very much the beginning of a journey in this space. It's a very new space. I'm collaborating with colleagues across the globe on this issue, as I say, because it is a global issue. And I suppose finally, the final point is everything that we've committed to and is underway um, within England has been very much co-produced by those who have experience of suicide themselves, including myself. And that's been really important to shape the narrative that this is developed with rather than to. Yeah, that. yeah, I mean, it's brilliant to hear. I had no idea myself that all that work was going on. I mean, certainly seeing a sea change around, you know, well-being focus and, you know, some of that's been, I think, post-COVID as well. You know, COVID seems to have driven some of the increased focus on well-being. But, you know, I wasn't aware, um, for example, that there was the national database being developed and I think that's really interesting like when you when you were talking about um branches of nursing and whether or not there'll be particular groups of nurses and I suppose the elephant in the room you know that you know as a mental health nurse interested to know whether um there's a, a high percentage of mental health nurses in there um, but also it'd be interesting whether or not there's even within mental health nursing different areas of mental health nursing <clears throat> where those rates will be higher, you know, potentially organisations where rates will be higher, you know, parts of the country. So there's there's a lot to consider, isn't there, within that, I think, um, that adds, as you say, adds context as well to some of those figures as well. Yeah, and the other thing, um, two things that aren't collated yet, but we, again, we've commissioned the Office of National Statistics to undertake as a bespoke piece of work for us specifically, is around ethnicity. So yeah. all data is, is collated from death certificates and death certificates have no requirement to include ethnicity. So mm. it is a very weak area um, yeah. in terms of suicide data generally. Um, but I have commissioned Office of National Statistics to do a bespoke piece of work to dig deep into our suicide data to look at mm. breakdown by ethnicity as well as we've already got the other data around things like demographic for instance other demographics for instance but that was an area specifically I know that has been a concern to people so of the suicide yeah. data generally there is no difference um it's those of a white and mixed race as defined by office of national statistics have an equal risk of suicide in men um so they're mm. the highest risk groups white and what they call mis mixed ethnicity um, within women, interestingly, it's those from a mixed ethnicity that have a slightly higher rate. How that translates into nursing or into other professions, we just do not know at this time, but we will have that data um, early next year for nursing, which again can really help shape our thinking and making sure that whatever we think is helpful is culturally sensitive. 
um, yeah. and culturally appropriate because that's the other thing that we often we, we are talking about it but we need to ensure is really nuanced and we know that as mental health nurses we work in probably one of the most diverse and that's the strength mm. of us as a profession but we are the most diverse um, section of nursing so that work is already being commissioned as well to help inform our thinking going forward and I continue to um, commission research so the work that's been led by Karen Asselz and Samantha Groves was commissioned by NHS England in terms of the systematic review and the review of data around self-harm um, and we continue to look at ways in which we can ensure the evidence base is increased um, and then just finally the other point I wanted to make is that the global data is focused on work-based factors linked to suicide and lots of people might be thinking is this due to work stress is it due to disciplinaries? Is it due to incivility, which we've heard a lot about? Is it due to racism? Is it due to violence and aggression? Um, it would be expected that some that has a significant impact. You know, we know those things really impact the way we view ourselves, our life, our worth, our, our future. There is nothing at the moment within the suicide data to indicate that because we haven't looked at it in that data. The American data looked only at workplace factors. They didn't look at, and I've had conversations with Judy Davison only this week to look at this, because the other area we really know is a huge issue for nurses, for female nurses, is domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, and so there will be additional research starting in the new year, funded by um, the RCN Foundation, specifically looking at domestic abuse within nurses. So I just wanted to pull that in because we think that's another area of significance in terms of contributory factors in this space. So when we're thinking about prevention initiatives, it's, it's not only about our HR processes and the way that we look after each other, it's understanding that people have a life outside work and that life outside work is not always pleasant or safe. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of reinforces the need for us to do more prevention work. Because one thing is that, you know, you always hear, don't you, when someone takes their own life is, oh, if only we'd known, if only we'd known what they were, you know, experiencing, we could have helped sooner. And yet we don't really have a conversation about um, what we can do um, to support our colleagues, for example, who, you know, we suspect might be experiencing um, domestic abuse, people who are struggling financially, you know, all the all these factors, you know, just the colleague that you see that suddenly seems really withdrawn and how to have a conversation with somebody. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really important, isn't it? It kind of really reinforces the need to have those conversations with with your colleagues and, um, you know, to look after each other and, and certainly highlights the role of, you know, managers to provide that pastoral care as well to people who they're, they're working with as part of their role, really. And that's been a change, hasn't it? I think uh, in the last few years, I think that sort of pastoral care element um, and certainly, you know, some of the other work around, you know, the PA initiative, for example, which really seems to have, you know, certainly where I work led to some, you know, change, you know, huge changes really around, you know, how people are supported. So I suppose on that note, really, it'd be quite useful to maybe talk a little bit about what people who people who are listening, what people can do um, to support people um, better at work, you know, if they've got concerns about a colleague, for example. I wonder, Jane, if you might want to come in as well here yeah. <clears throat> from your perspective in practice. Um, I think I think probably, like you say, it's such a complex issue and there's so many factors at play. Um, but I think I think what I would want to say to 
mental health professionals who may encounter um, providing care and treatments to another mental health um, professional, um, then I would very much want for them just to accept that person for who they are, um, not who they not who their professional um, life is. Um, yeah. Especially when people are unwell and distressed, and they you know or I certainly couldn't have felt further away from from the nurse that I was. Um, so I think it's it's not letting that be that not letting that be a barrier, um, and if it needs to be openly discussed with the person, then openly discuss it. Don't let it be the elephant in the room that you know you see on the notes, and then don't want to um, don't want to say anything about. I think you know, people's perceptions of care and and whether they perceive mental health services to be um, to be a safe place, to be a, a helpful space, um, that. You know, I think that you know really impacts on how people um, seek out support uh, when they uh, when they are when they are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that you know, and I've, I've wrote about this from my own experiences. Um, I think for me, one of the the most helpful things that a mental health professional um, did for me was when I was in real distress, was just being with me in that distress. Um, and sitting with me in that distress, um, exploring that distress, hearing that distress, um, and by them being present and not immediately defaulting to a care plan or a task or a, a safety plan, um, they were just kind of with me and sat with me and, and listened. Um, and by doing so, um, they um, they kind of just held my hope and my future in their hands. Um, when I couldn't see any hope or any future for myself, they were by using those, you know, amazing skills that we have as mental health nurses uh, to be able to kind of sit with me in, in that distress and, and hold that hope for me when I couldn't see any hope um, for, um, for myself. Um, to be without hope and to live without hope um, is, is quite impossible, um, to be honest. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's that's the amazing gift that we have as mental health nurses is to support people through, you know, potentially the, you know, one of the, the worst days of, of their lives. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if, if mental health professionals are supporting other nurses, then it's remembering and seeing it as an honour to be able to provide that that care and that support and those nursing interventions um, to, um, to another nurse. I've got a couple of students um, who've WhatsApp me saying um, thank you specifically to Jane for speaking about this. One of them talks about their own depression as well, says it's so difficult. And I think coming from back in the day, so old, <laughs> when we were told not don't talk about this stuff, don't talk about human vulnerability and you know, all, all that kind of de denial of what makes us good at our job. You know, that personhood, that empathy, that ability to connect safely with other people and support and hear. I think that's it's incredible the work that you're doing just by like being Jane. So thank you very much for that and oh, thank you. coming on because it's not you. easy, is it? Because you are talking really clearly about the fact that it costs, it costs to be open. And I think one of the other uh, questions that's come through here, it's an interesting one. So is there something, is there something about us as nurses that stops us seeing risk in ourselves and each other? Potentially. What do you think? <laughs> a good a good question um I think it's true I think there is because I think we 
manage our distress in a different way. So some of the anecdotal reports from um, nurses who have shared that they are feeling suicidal or have attempted and survived, many, many nurses, um, their behaviours don't match what we normally see in perhaps other people, so the withdrawal, the disconnection. What we've seen is people overcompensating by doing more shifts, being more yeah. active, taking on more work. So certainly when we're thinking about the, the specific training that we're putting together, which is going to be based on the, the Mersey Care stuff, which Angela Samata wrote as well, so it's, it's going to mirror some of that, is picking up on some of the nuances that might look different between mm. our colleagues. Um, I think there's also something that um, we always put others first, so we're not always attentive to our own needs and we're busy. And it's yeah. scary challenging. I think that's the other thing is, it's scary asking someone if they're having thoughts about ending their life. It's scary telling and then feeling that you've got to do something about it. So I still wonder if there's an avoidance sometimes of asking because we're scared of what we might hear and then might have to do about it and what that might mean for the person. So the other thing we're still hearing significantly is an issue is fear that if people disclose that they are struggling psychologically, if they are mentally ill, that they will be struck off and will be referred to the regulator. And that is still a very real concern that prevents people from speaking out, but also I think prevents colleagues from asking and then being put in that position around what they might feel as decision-making around practice. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd identify with that as well. And, you know, obviously I support students as well in, in my job now and, um, you know, and I, you know, I have you know students that I've kept in touch with with their own lived experiences who are now out there in practice um and they you know they, they have a really tough time and and you know tough decisions about when to disclose what to disclose um and again that kind of fear of being um which I still have as well it's that it's that fear of people thinking oh I'm, I can't do my job or I'm not you know well enough to do my job or you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't do it because I live with, you know, um, a mental illness, um, you know, and I think that's challenging for a lot of people with, with mental illness, but I think particularly, uh, particularly nurses and, you know, mental health professionals, um, you know, there is still that, that fear around it, or being, being seen as less of a nurse or less as a human because, you know, you, you unfortunately live, live with a, a long-term mental illness. Yeah, I suppose the danger of that as well is in terms of suicide that nurses becoming more and more unwell um, to the point that, you know, nurses take their own lives, whereas somebody who felt that there weren't those barriers to access and health and support would maybe ask for help and support earlier rather than trying to conceal how much they were struggling. So I guess, yeah, you can see that kind of spiral and how it happens and and you know certainly you know we all you know we're all nurses and we all know that it is it is really difficult isn't it for people to whether that's perception or reality to actually disclose that they're you know I've have a history of mental illness or that they're experiencing mental illness and sometimes I even think within the lived experience community there's a there's an assumption that we're different to the people in that community and, and what do we know because we haven't experienced mental illness when actually who's to say we haven't experienced mental illness and mental health challenges so we all need to come together as, as a community don't we but it's yeah 
it's very challenging I suppose there is something about gender as well isn't there but I know next week we're talking about um female nurse suicides but I was also thinking when Emma was talking about the data about the fact that um it's my understanding if this is still the case that um you know in the UK recording of a verdict of suicide is um is you know can be quite difficult if there isn't a suicide note and there isn't sort of clear evidence that somebody's taken their own life so potentially you know we know that um women for example are less likely to be successful at a suicide attempt so whilst we look at the rates of male suicide as being higher it's really important to look at the rates of attempted suicide amongst women because whilst they're not necessarily as high as the rates of men who've actually successfully taken their own lives. It indicates that lots of women are attempting to take their own lives. I think you kind of bring us around again to language there, don't you? There's a lot of historic language that we've got that we need to junk. Yeah. You know, no suicide can ever be successful. Yeah. You know, you and, die and, by suicide. Yeah. It's it's something which is a real painful experience for those people that are touched by it and it's it's one of those things that with all kinds of stigma isn't it it's sticky it mm. sticks to everybody that kind of shame and that pain and it's it's almost like a grief that has got shards in it as well you know not just the grief itself but the type of grief that you're experiencing and maybe the fact that you can't necessarily feel that you can talk about it so I guess yeah. one of the groups of people we need to think about are people who have been touched by suicide of colleagues friends people who've yeah. used their services as well because that does carry its own type of pain and stress Sorry, Emma, I thought you were going to speak there. No, it's a couple of things, really. Just, yeah, you're absolutely right. So the other thing I forgot to mention is one of the things that we really wanted to do was to run a bespoke group, post-venture group for families who've been bereaved specifically by the death of a nurse. Because I'd been contacted by parents of um, whose daughters had died and the shame they also felt. And, you know, which is which is very similar to, to my PhD research of other parents whose adult children have died, that sort of hierarchy of death. So Doctors in Distress actually got um, private funding to run the first ever bespoke postvention group and I funded the evaluation so that that group has started to specifically support colleagues following the, the suicide of a nurse, because there are lots of complexities, hence why we had the postvention guidance, um, such as um, some nurses die in the hospital setting. Mm. Um, it's not uncommon, and this was certainly something when I worked in the Ambulance Trust, that um, you might be called out to a colleague. Similarly, nurses are looking after nurse colleagues who have attempted to take their life, whether or not they survive or not. They, they receive treatment in the hospitals in which they are working, and um, that has a particular level of of trauma for people as it would be if you were caring for someone you knew but it, it takes a different edge if you felt that you perhaps had missed or hadn't seen or recognized and that's certainly something we hear significantly hence the, the very specific postvention guidance the data is an interesting one again because actually the narrative we now have um, the burden of proof has changed so you don't need a suicide letter um, at all and that changed a couple of years ago so we saw a bit of a bump in the suicide numbers but it's now okay. leveling out um, but it's worth mm. noting that the rates for men have started to come down slightly. The rates for women are increasing, although it's still this big gap. Um, and actually, it is a myth about method. So watch out for the ONS data because it will be a surprise when it comes yeah. to using a method. Um, but that's not to say that I think there needs to be far more research that um, listens to those who have attempted and survived. 
because only they can really tell us um, about what might have contributed, what are the points that we could have acted differently. And just some of the work that's been done of a study that we commissioned that was completed by Keith Wharton, Karen Asells and Samantha Groves was to relook really at some self-harm data of a it's been going for many, many years. There's a comparison of data between a hospital in Derby and Oxford, which looks at people who have um, received treatment following um, an attempt to kill themselves. And they did a retrospective review of their data to look for nurses within that data as to why they um, had completed and um, considered, you know, what was it? And what was interesting from that data, and they're going to be collect that study will now look at professions, so we'll have data going forward. But what they picked up on, which hasn't been picked up anywhere, mainly because this is an unresearched area, was linked back to pain, but specifically musculoskeletal pain. Um, and it's something we sort of know, but again, that might be something we can do something tangible about, linking with occupational health, rethinking the that we have, the seats, you know, whatever it is, violence and aggression, what support we give people after accidents in terms of rapid access to physio. So it shows the importance of research and the importance of data that helps guide our, <coughs> as well as understanding that language is really significant. And we are a culturally diverse workforce. We're a culturally diverse country and stigma has different meanings and suicide is accepted or discussed differently within those cultures. And that's something else we need to be really mindful of that um, we're in different spaces depending on, on our own backgrounds um, as mm. well as the touch. So it's a very nuanced space, but I want it to be something that we start to talk about more openly um, because if we talk about it, we can do something about it. And it means that someone else might feel more confident about reaching out. And if we talk about how uncomfortable it is sometimes, if there's a colleague who's struggling about what to ask or, how as mental health nurses we can say we're struggling when we're meant to have all the answers in mental health you know how incompetent must that make you know, if we start to talk about it more openly then we start to break down those barriers so that when someone is in crisis they are able to reach out and then of course it's making sure when they reach out that there's someone there to listen and and hold out and hold that hope as Jane said in a humanistic non-judgmental way um, but that's where we need to get to is making it business as usual to talk about this stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Nikki, any um, yep, questions? A couple of, a couple of hellos. Um, uh, um, hello back to you. And um, Gillian Daisy saying, very important topic, most nurses suffer in silence. And that's absolutely what we would really like to address and, and, and face up to. Um, most of the stuff that's coming in is how can we help? What, what, what do we need to do? How can we help? And repeat it over and over again, which is really positive, isn't it? Because what we wanted to do was get people asking just that very thing. Mm. So I think we're, we're getting towards the end of our time as well. So perhaps that'd be a good place for us to get to. What can we do to help? I feel like I've spoken far too much. So I'm going to let Jane have the final word. But what I would say is talking is the first is the first step talking and I can't underestimate that really or underemphasize it of course and just reiterating what we said at the beginning I have um there will be posted all the contact points that we can signpost people to so it's making yourself aware of that but I think a lot of this is being brave to ask someone you're worried about um and it is sometimes being brave but I think talking about it being brave knowing where to signpost people to if you're concerned knowing where to signpost yourself to if you think you are or know you are struggling um, 
and just remember you're not alone with this we're collectively working together to do something about it but I think the final word should go to Jane on this one what would help Jane what can people do I think I think one of the things is is having that realization that asking for help and saying that you're struggling is really hard to do um for for anybody not just nurses um you know it's really hard to admit that things are not quite okay and that you might need some help um so I think it's it's giving people more than one chance to to admit that as well um you know checking in on our you know ourselves and our and our colleagues you know the, the people that the people that we work with um and especially for, for nurses and mental health nurses mm. I'd say just having that that understanding that you know we're all just people um and you know we're all going to struggle with our mental health at some point to certain uh, to certain degrees um and just normalizing that you know that can be a, a part of human experience and you know we are going to struggle at times um and I suppose the other thing I'd say is for mental health nurses just to just to remind them of that the privilege that they have to support people in distress mm. um, and that importance of that human to human connection um, and that holding hope um, for someone mm. uh, which as nurses we we might do um, you know to our patients but also you know within within our, ourselves and our um, and our and our colleagues as well. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. And I guess um, thanks again as well to Dave, who's been tweeting out, Xing out <laughs> um, all these resources. And I think don't don't worry if some of this has come as, as a shock and you think everything I thought was wrong. I need to don't worry when you know better, do better. So it's just a question of going back and having a look at the new information as it comes out, keeping an eye on that um, and, and updating constantly. So for anyone whose first iteration of change this is get used to it <laughs> for anyone who's been through this before welcome back <laughs> you know um it's time to read again and learn again and and change practice and, and keep improving and keep having these conversations and exactly as emma was saying right at the start this is this is hopeful it's hopeful the more we know the better we will be able to do and i think the more conversations we have open and honestly about the the issues that we all face as people the better we're going to be able to manage this situation and support people and protect them and bring these numbers down. So um, I think just to finish up, just to mention next week, we've got um, Ruth Wiley and Leanne Patrick, and we're talking about the um, dominant suicidology approaches that aren't really fit for purpose and what we can do differently. So thank you very much for that. And I'll hand over to Vanessa. Yeah, um, I guess what I'm thinking is people who are listening tonight who might be personally affected by suicide I think Emma and um, Jane and obviously ourselves are all on on Twitter so you know do reach out to us and um, think in particular what um, Emma was saying about all the opportunities um, to be involved in some of the research if you've been personally affected by suicide because I guess there might be nurses who are listening tonight who thinks that you know who think that's me and I want to um, you know get more involved so I get you know I, I guess they contact yourself Emma if people yes, are please. listening yeah yes please and just just to say that all of the research that I've commissioned into nurse suicide I've been very clear has been led by nurses mental health mm. nurses so there's some I haven't yeah. mentioned tonight such as Helen Reese that you know we've we really are opening the space so but also 
leading the way in terms of researching this as an area that needs that research recognition. But yes, please do really happy for people to contact me, feedback, share what would help, what would not help, what absolutely doesn't help that we need to avoid, really open to feedback. Brilliant. I think it's been a really important conversation, hasn't it, tonight? And I guess it's an ongoing conversation, isn't it? But it's been great to have you both on and Jane, you know, for you to be able to talk so openly about your own experiences. I'm sure there must be loads of people listening who've, you know, really found that really helpful. And I think it's really important, isn't it? And obviously to Emma, it's been really interesting. Um, I first had no idea that this amount of work was going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure that's the same for lots of people listening. So it's really good to hear all the important work that's going on at the moment in this area. Um, as um, Nikki says, next week, we've got a continuation of our suicide prevention theme, talking about um, feminist approaches to suicide prevention. So, um, you know, do tune into that as well. And as we've said, we will keep an eye on the um, the Twitter or the X and um and over on facebook so if you have any reflections comments questions then do post them and we will get back to you later and um and thanks for listening good night